you know, as you kind of progress through the journey, you, you know, think about filling your gas tank, right? You, you know, in order to reach some of those new milestones, you need to have a certain amount of gas uh, to get there. The Doctorpreneurs Podcast with James Gupta and Dr. Greg Goodman. Transatlantic perspectives on the latest and greatest topics in healthcare innovation. Hello everyone and welcome to the fifth episode of the Doctorpreneurs podcast with me, James Gupta and Dr. Greg Goodman joining us from the States. James, it's awesome. I, I know we've gotten a tremendous amount of awesome feedback from the Doctorpreneur community, the physician entrepreneur community in general. Excited to kick off the fifth episode. Yep, uh, it's the first episode since we actually launched. Like you say, really good feedback so far. Within two days of launching, we're on the new and noteworthy section of iTunes, which was fantastic. We've seems we've reached quite a few people that we'd that had never really heard about this before. Yeah, I hope we can keep the trend going and continue growing. Our topic today is healthcare funding. We're going to be talking about how medical technology startups can get funding for those ideas, some of the challenges that they're likely to face along the way, and some of the things that make it maybe a little bit unique to other sectors. First, would you like to start us off with the Ignite, a quote to inspire us, Greg? Yeah, let's uh, let's ignite to all our listeners. Thank you so much for joining in on our first four episodes. You know, please share the uh, the love and uh, pass on the podcast. You know, to other fellow healthcare innovators and dreamers. So the quote this week is by Tim Ferriss, one of my favorites. You know, master in productivity and you know, really great entrepreneur. And his quote is: "An entrepreneur isn't someone who owns a business; it's someone who makes things happen." And I think he just, you know, it's just an awesome quote in the terms of entrepreneurship is just about making things happen. It's about going out there, dreaming up an idea and just going after it. It's not about owning the LLC. It's not about being that CEO and, and, and sitting in the back of an office. The CEOs that are really making things happen, they're going out and building fields and driving innovation in healthcare and other sectors. It'll be exciting to talk about making things happen today raising funding, getting your concepts and ideas out there. Yeah, no, great quote. And uh, people should definitely check out Tim's podcast if they haven't done already. Yeah, especially today when, you know, you could be an entrepreneur basically setting up a podcast and you could have thousands and thousands of listeners or a YouTube channel. It might not necessarily be a business, but you're being an entrepreneur by creating a product and marketing it to people. And we'll talk about the easy ways, you know, to get funding, I guess, initially, and then go into some of the more complex deals and you know, healthcare is a big sector. We were just looking at some of the numbers, you know, prior to uh, jumping on the podcast today and, you know, looking at digital health and, you know, some of the things that are going on. It's a really exciting space. Digital health in, in 2015, it was a $4.5 billion investment space, you know, really growing, you know, looking at the trends from kind of the, I think, 2010, 2011 and then things really started getting pretty exciting in 2014 and 2015. And we'll kind of walk you through some of the exciting pieces and, and some of the different opportunities. Do you want to kick off, James, about, you know, some of your, you know, funding experience? And I'll talk about mine and then we'll uh, we'll break down, you know, some of the exciting sectors in healthcare. Yeah, sure thing. Um, you know, healthcare technology is a massive term that covers everything from 
you know, on one end of the scale, there's companies that are literally doing these crazy things with genomics and things like that. And then you've got companies that are, you know, working equally as hard, but on a, on a smaller or what would seem like a more simple section of it. I think what's interesting about it is that medicine's got a lot of regulation, obviously, in, in, involved in it. It's got sort of laws about who can prescribe, who is considered a part of that community. And that's something that to date has been difficult for startups and sort of smaller, newer companies to get past. So you look at companies like companies that exist in the consumer tech space, uh, people like Airbnb and Uber, and they've done really well at growing their companies by overcoming sort of various regulatory laws and that kind of thing. But when you look at healthcare, there's so much more regulation that it's it's understandably taking more time for this to really take hold. And it seems like the investment that you need to get a healthcare technology company off the ground, it's going to need a much bigger initial boost just to get past that, because from day one, you're going to need, you know, more staff and more a bigger sort of legal team and, you know, to fulfill all of these other regulations. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm, you know, comparing the, the healthcare space to some of the other consumer spaces or you know, some of the other technologies out there, you just need a, a much, like you're saying, a much larger team. There's a tremendous amount of, you know, regulation. In addition to that, I think one of the big barriers to entry is your consumer is not generally your consumer, right? In the, you know, Airbnb or Uber space, it's just the, you know, the, the person looking for, you know, a ride or, you know, a place to stay. But when you get into healthcare, it's really complicated because, you know, at least in the States, right, you know, the payer might be actually the insurance company and the uh, patient is not front and center in, in making some of those decisions and, you know, looking at, you know, who's a part of that, you know, in addition to that very complicated healthcare, you know, systems in terms of, you know, large hospital systems, you've got some of the smaller, you know, individual physicians, there's a lot more players that you have to really understand the landscape of who's actually the end user who's paying for the technology might be different than who's using it. And so I think you have to be aware of all those, you know, nuances when you're getting started. And there's a lot of, you know, very complicated pieces to uh, getting your app into a uh, into a hospital is uh, not so easy. Yeah, no, that's that's a really important point, actually, because, you know, my, my own company is in the education space and understanding that difference between the people who are using your product, which is the students, and the people that are actually making those purchasing decisions, who are the payers, the universities or the schools, and the different priorities they have on things is, is really important because you could have a product that students or patients absolutely love and definitely get value out of. But if it's not ticking the right boxes for those payers then it's not necessarily going to get anywhere. Just looking at the healthcare trends, and we'll talk about some of them, but if you look at the funding, if you remember that first figure, the $4.5 billion, which is a large figure, that's the, the, you know, the funding that was actually received by companies, and you look at the largest piece of that pie, if you think about the investors and, and people looking for returns, you know, the largest sector was actually the healthcare consumer engagement I wouldn't call it low-hanging fruit, you know, the opportunity to, you know, sell the doctors on like a ZocDoc, you know, which is helping connect patients with doctors is maybe a much easier feat in making that mobile and simple and cool is much harder than looking at, you know, how can you get in the weeds and really build out, you know, very complicated structures for care coordination helping patients transition from the hospital to the outpatient setting, you know, following the dollars and figuring out the incentive structures around those collaborations is much more complicated. It'll be exciting as some of the 
You know, the wearables are pretty exciting. You, you know, there's other spaces. I mean, telemedicine we had an episode on is getting a big chunk of the dollars. Care coordination. You know, looking at some of the future trends, I wouldn't say that the, the consumer part would not be a big piece. Some of the other sectors like the care coordination, things are a little bit more directly involved with the patient, physician, hospital. We'll be getting some larger chunks of the dollars as we you know, kind of mature in terms of, you know, where the venture capitalists and, and some of the equity players are going to I think to so. Uh, the, the healthcare consumer engagement thing is really interesting because, yes, in, on one hand, it is a low-hanging fruit in the, you know, it's it's not about creating a new technology or a new drug necessarily. It's more about utilizing what we've already got and making sure that patients are using it to get the most benefit out of. But uh, it, it just reminded me when you said that of a quote from a guy called Leonard Kish, who's a U.S. Uh, health IT consultant. And he said that patient engagement will be the blockbuster drug of the century, which makes a lot of sense. I think we put out a lot of hope for suddenly discovering like the cure for cancer or oral insulin or something like that. But the thing that's going to really make the difference is some sort of system, entity or whatever that helps patients, you know, remain, keep on top of their medication schedules, which are getting ever more complicated and get the benefit out of the medication that we've already got. That's probably going to lead to, you know, more increases in life expectancy than a lot of new medications would. So it's not so surprising that so much money is going into this in terms of apps that will intelligently remind you of what you should be taking or just things that make the process simpler, because it seems like there's a big missed opportunity there. Yeah. You know, you're talking about, I think, the field of digital therapeutics and prescribing applications, I think, will will become much more physicians prescribing hopefully less medicines and more digital applications to the patients. The other piece, you know, looking some at some of the exciting sectors where, and, and we'll probably have a whole show on this, you know, the whole wearable space, you, you know, how can we tap into this data? How can we look into, you know, what patients are doing every day and how do those behaviors, you know, smartly understanding what motivates, what doesn't motivate individualized patients, and then prescribing them apps that make more sense and, and really drilling down on, you know, pieces that, you know, work or don't work. It'll be, uh, it'll be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, that'll be a great episode. I'm really looking forward to it. Without going, you know, too in-depth onto it here, I think the most exciting thing about wearables is their ability to close the feedback loop. There's no problem with medication compliance in painkillers, for example, because people know the benefit they get out of it. When you're talking about something like blood pressure medication or statins and that kind of thing where you don't get the immediate benefit, if, people, if patients can immediately see what their blood pressure is doing or what their cholesterol is doing as a response to taking their medication, that's going to be a massive incentive for them to keep on taking it regularly. Yeah, I, th I guess the main point there is there's, there's lots of interesting areas there going from sort of digital apps that will encourage patients to take the medication more regularly, things that can improve the coordination of care, telemedicine, and then some really interesting sort of biometric genomic advances that all, all this VC money is going into. So I know, you know, maybe to clarify for some of the, uh, some of the newer entrepreneurs, we'll break down some of the different funding just briefly, you know, as you kind of progress through the journey, you, you know, think about filling your gas tank, right? You, you know, in order to reach some of those new milestones, you need to have a certain amount of gas uh, to get there, and, and, and that might be the cash. Early on, you might be bootstrapping, which is using family, friends. Hopefully, you, you, you'll make it home to the, uh, the dinner table at night if you're taking cash from, uh, from some of those close to you. Kind of that next stage of funding would be what, what's termed the seed money. So these would be you know, normally from angel investors, smaller circles or little 
you know, angel groups that kind of get together, tend to be individual investors, you know, with uh, some experience maybe in the health, IT or digital world, you know, on, on, on smaller, you know, investments, maybe 100,000, you know, 250, you know, some, some of these deals are going up to a million, especially in healthcare. As, as we've been talking, a lot of the deals that are being done in healthcare are looking at that $2 million range. It sounds like a lot, but, you know, when you're getting all the pieces together, you know, and raising that next round, which they might term as the Series A round. So this is where maybe, you know, you've got your, your minimum viable product. You've got a customer or two. You got some data around what you're doing. And you're looking to kind of really grow and expand, you know, what you've been doing. You know, that's a, just a, a, a very quick and dirty quick summary in terms of how to maybe think about some of the buckets. And then, you know, you'll hear series B, series C, these are tend to be growth, you know, uh, opportunities. So maybe you've three or four hospitals and now you want to expand to 10 or 20, you know, you, you, you might go after different rounds looking at 10 million, 20 million, uh, $50 million rounds to kind of really grow and expand. And then you're, you're looking at much bigger investments after that. I don't know if you have much to add there, James. Yeah, that's yeah, no, a terrible explanation. No, I think that was a good explanation. Um, I'm, I'm just going to break a few things down a little bit further just to, to cover up some sort of misunderstandings that I know I had for a while about it. So first of all, the whole process seems incredibly wasteful, right? You, you're sort of just taking money left, right and center and you're going from series A through to B, C, D, E, F. The reason for a seed round typically is to achieve something called product market fit. So you'll spend most of your seed round building the product, building up your team, doing a bit of test marketing to get you know a handful of initial users on board listening to their feedback, changing it again. By the end of your seed round, you should end up with a product that has been tested with by users that they really like, they use regularly. So you know you've got something that's that's viable, minimum viable product, as Greg, as Greg said. Your series A then is typically exponentially higher than your seed round and it's used to then market that product and to really launch it out there and start growing it a lot of companies then go into sort of b c d e which are further rounds after the series a that keep on growing the company usually after a series a you could carry on growing it organically so reinvesting the profits that you're making from your customers or just you know giving yourself a nice dividend from it the reason people go for further investment rounds is because they want to take advantage of that sort of market traction that they've got and capture as much of the market as they can and get these contracts signed to just capture the user base before a competitor has a chance to catch up with them. So you sort of accelerate your rate of adoption with funding rounds, knowing that you you can then sort of get the dividends and get the money back from it afterwards. I think you added some really great points there. One thing I, w I want to just add as well in the in the funding discussion, I think a lot of people look at it as a really exciting, you know, you raised a few million dollars. It's it's incredible. I think that's just the beginning. You know, as, as I was talking about, it's just the fuel to the fire. The, uh, the challenges in terms of getting the right people on board sometimes with funding can help. You know, you recruit, you know, some people maybe not to work for incredibly high salaries, but at least bring on some people and you know provide some uh, some capital to to really grow the team you know achieve some of these milestones and goals funding is exciting but it's just the beginning of the journey it's it, totally 6 months ago getting our funding was the hardest thing that i ever did and now i i look back and think god i wish i could be doing that again it's yeah. just the beginning right Jim? It, now it, you it have to prove your product you've got to yeah. you know and that, make that, sure that, that you're that hitting money, the milestones that money goes sort of left right and center like as no matter how careful you're being the expenses 
things that you just weren't aware of before, getting the right people and getting people who can do the job well cost what they cost, and you've got to factor it all in. That burn rate, like you're talking about for some of the, the new entrepreneurs, the cash goes quick and figuring out, I think the other priority is how to spend your cash, right? So you, you raise $2 million, you know, what are the top priorities, how to really you know, think about where to put the money and you know, what's going to be your biggest bang for your buck in terms of getting to some of these follow-up rounds ultimately to, uh, to hopefully achieve the massive success that you're looking for. It's, right, it's it's difficult because like, you, you've got two million uh, pounds two million dollars in your in your bank account and on one hand you sort of think you know two million dollars that that could get you anything right you could basically buy your way to the front of a paper and have mass success that way but no there's got to be a lot of strategy behind it there is such a thing as doing your marketing just too early when when your product's not ready for it you could spend money on the wrong features for your product you could do something badly and end up with a, a lawsuit coming your way. So yeah, funding definitely just the beginning. And to your point, it's really about figuring out where the resources go and, and smartly allocating them and testing, right? You know, because to your point, the two million goes quick. So figuring out how to test and you know get the product out there in a smart way makes uh, makes a lot of sense. That's sort of seeds and sort of series A, B, C funding. Uh, I guess this would be a good time to sort of mention crowdfunding as well as a sort of parallel. Yeah, I, I love. I know you, uh, James, have quite a bit of experience. You know, for your current startup, you you guys did a a pretty exciting crowdfunding round, right? Which is a little harder in the healthcare space. I know you're in the the medical education space or in the education space. But you want to talk about that experience? My company, uh, Sign Up, is, is an education company with an online studying platform, initially for medical students and, and now for just students in general. We ran a crowdfunding campaign that eventually got us £200,000, so about $380,000, let's say that is. Yeah, a, a good-sized seed round, basically. And it was an equity-based crowdfunding platform. There's two types of crowdfunding. First one, which most people, definitely most Americans, will be familiar with, is uh, reward-based crowdfunding. So that's things like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, where you've got an idea for a product, but you need money initially to develop it. You tell people about it, and they get a pre-order or some sort of perk if they put their money in up front. The UK has been really good in pioneering something called equity crowdfunding, which is much more similar to a normal investment round where you get investors on board who give you money in exchange for actual shares in your company going forward. So it's like running a normal angel round, but split between 50 to 100 different investors. So we ran one of those rounds, which has worked really well for us. We now have a range of investors. A lot of those bring their own experiences onto the team as well and are helping open doors for us in other areas. Uh, we ran it on a website called crowdcube.com, which made a lot of the legal work and the finances around it relatively simple. And literally in the last few months, the US SEC has started to allow equity-based crowdfunding in the States, which it didn't do before. So that's probably going to be a big up-and-coming platform over there over the next year or so. I'd recommend yeah, people to check it out. So I think that's really exciting. Like you're saying, some of the regulatory space in the States is changing. One thing that I wanted to ask you is it seems like, you know, 50 or I don't know, how many how many investors do you have? Do you feel like there's too many cooks in the kitchen when you, you know, go through, a, you know, a funding platform online versus maybe going to a standard angel group or, you know, even just raising, you know, say 50 or 100K from five different investors, which might, you know, achieve the same thing? 
What we, do you think some of the advantages were? The, the there are definitely advantages uh, which I'll chat about. Um, there's arguably disadvantages, at least in theory. For us, we've not run into them yet. So I guess we've got 141 investors, and that's split into about 120 non-voting investors and about 21 voting investors who invested a certain amount that that got them that right. The way we've built our sort of legal sort of constitution around the company that Crowdcube recommended is that we can make all decisions and, and do all voting by email. Investors have seven working days to respond. Otherwise, we can sort of discount their vote. So we don't need to be messing around with posting and chasing up people and things like that. So that lets us, even with 100, close to 150 investors, still operate in quite a lean, agile way, which is really helpful. The disadvantages, you know, if, if you didn't have something like that set up, yes, it could become a bit bloated quite easily. We've taken care of that. The advantages are we've got a lot of people in our company who have chosen to invest in it because of their own experiences in the education space. We've been put in touch with potential Series A, invent- A investors, people who might want to get involved on the platform, people who might want to help test it, people who've got links to journalists and that kind of thing. It's a really great way of getting started, especially if you're relatively new to the space. You've maybe not got much of a, you know, you, you don't know a guy who knows a guy in a venture capital firm and you're just looking to get started. I think crowdfunding is a really great way of reducing the barriers to entry for new entrepreneurs and letting people invest in ideas that might not have got a look in before. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, it's really an interesting platform. You know, on the one hand, you've got the, I don't know, it seems like over 100 investors, you know, but when you look at, you know, the not maybe some of the knowledge behind that and then you drill down to the, you know, 20 or so that, you know, maybe have a little bit more rights given the, uh, the actual capital they invested in. And I'll just bring up one point. I, I went the other way. I went maybe the old school way uh, before they had such cool crowdfunding, you know, raise some, uh, you know, uh, some money in the same, you know, few hundred K regard. And I think you you learn quickly. There's the smart capital. I won't call it the dumb capital, but, you know, people that can add value, like you're, like you're mentioning, you know, that really know the space, I, I think is just such an important point, you know, when you're looking, especially early on, not all capitals equal. So, you, you know, you could get a, a million dollars from somebody that doesn't really add value, especially in healthcare. You can look at, you know, some of the pharmaceutical players or, you know, some of maybe more of the strategic partners, you know, looking to get involved, I, I think really makes a big difference in terms of raising smart capital and thinking about, you, you know, the follow-up rounds, you know, not just let's get cash today, but, you know, as you go forward. And- yeah, no, t- totally. Yeah, we- we've always had an eye to-, to the next round. And you're right, there's a, there's a big difference between a- an angel investor who will just put their money in and one who will put some money in, but also will use the fact that he's got an interest in helping your company succeed now to introduce you to people and, you know, get your next funding round or get you interviews with journalists or whatever it is. This kind of goes perfectly with our Ask Doctrepreneur question. Uh, which is, I think, also a uh, you know part of the funding dynamic. All these accelerators are popping up. I, I know Rock Health, Healthbox, Blueprint Health, Startup Health. Those are some of the the ones in the states. I'm I'm less familiar with the UK, but you know the question is, should I join an accelerator? I've got this great idea. You, you know, should I go crowdfunding and you know think about some some of the things that you presented, or should I join an accelerator and now, what are, what are your thoughts? I mean, what did, did you uh, consider that? Should yes, we did. 
should we drill down into what an accelerator is? Because I know it, it, I, this term was thrown at me a lot of times and I just pretended to know what it, it meant for the first few months. It's an excellent, excellent idea. Wanna... I guess I'll, I'll take a little bit of a stab because one of my early companies was called Siona Box. I started what I termed a little bit of an accelerator. An accelerator, at least the way I think of it, is you know think about you being a little baby chick, right? And maybe I'm using too many analogies and we'll get some feedback here, right? And, and you need to go into the nest or that little incubator that, you know, your mom has in you with warm, fuzzy space and, and a nice, comfortable nest and good food and to help you kind of grow up to, to be a little bit of a bigger baby bird where you can actually fly out of the nest, go out, you, you know, get your own worms. So I think of an accelerator in those terms, right? The goal is to take your little idea, maybe get some help around you know, legal expertise, especially in the healthcare space, uh, some of the regulatory policy, figuring out the structure, maybe your business model, you know, testing out, figuring out your, your product market fit. And I think the good accelerators provide some space, maybe a little bit of capital to get you to that next stage, like we were talking about, maybe to the seed funding or, you know, maybe even to the hmm. Series A. So I don't, I don't know if my baby bird analogy works. What, what I, do you think, James? Yeah, I, I like the baby bird analogy. I think it, because yeah, another phrase from in the UK, <laughs> maybe in the States, is an incubator. And a, a hatchery, okay, actually, yep. we've got in Leeds. So a hatchery, okay. like your, I, I'm not familiar like with that term, huh? What, what are you guys analogy. hatching? Yeah, so an incubator, as Greg said, it's basically like uh, a program for really early stage uh, companies. So maybe someone who's just got an idea and maybe not much else. They'll typically give you office space, some initial funding, advice, mentorship, and basically put you in an environment where you've got all the right conditions to succeed. You know, you're, you're with people who can support you. You're with people who are doing the same thing as you. They'll put you in touch with people who can help you get along, give you some money. And they'll typically take sort of 8 to 10% equity in your company for doing that. I think they're a really good idea. Uh, a lot of the really big companies have come out of accelerators. So two of the biggest accelerators you'll hear about, Y Combinator and Techstars. Can't think of the top of my head what some of the companies are, but Greg, some of the really big companies have come out of accelerators. On my podcast, The Modern MD, I'll do a little shout out. You know, Sean Duffy, who you know, I have an upcoming interview with, uh, went to uh, Rock Health and he launched a company called Omada Health building health coaches and, and thinking about chronic disease and management. And they were named one of the fast company, 50 most influential companies. They're really gaining a lot of traction. There's a, there's quite a few companies coming out, Rock Health, Health Box that go on to raise funding and, and lots of deals being done. I know you mentioned Y Combinator and, and some of the other more broad incubators. It's kind of interesting. One thing to maybe consider is, you know, would a healthcare specifically focused incubator be your best option or would a tech stars Y Combinator be an option? And, you know, I think healthcare is so, I know we've used complicated and, you know, difficult so many times, but I think it's a challenging space, you know, being focused and, and having that insight into some of maybe the other partners and some of the health systems, getting your product out there, you know, getting it tested in some of the, uh, hospitals and larger systems think thinking about joining a, a healthcare specific or exclusive incubator might be a uh, really yeah, no I, I, I totally agree actually I generally don't advise people to join accelerators unless they're going for like the Y Combinator tech stars internationally renowned sort of ones uh, but I, I agree with you I think healthcare is such a such a different space just because it is way more regulated 
so much of your product's success will depend on not how good it is, but whether you can deliver it to the major sort of healthcare provider in your country, whether that's the NHS or the, you know, the various providers in the US. It's, it's prob- probably worth joining an accelerator. There's always, sort of, I guess, sort of snake oil sort of uh, companies that are set up because they're just sort of taking 8%, not really adding much value apart from the office space and t- picking companies that will succeed with or without them. But in healthcare, I think the right accelerator can really make a big difference because they've got, they know people in the industries you want to sell to. They know about the regulation behind it. They can help you get on the map, basically. Two of the ones that, we know at Doctorpreneurs, and I know both the guys that, that, that run them, are Dotforge Health, which is based in the north of England. Really highly recommend it. The team behind that have, have a track record in doing this sort of thing. They've got some great partners signed up. And HTI Labs down in the south of England, which, again, similar track record, great people behind it that I can really vouch for. You, you mentioned some really great points there, which is if you're going into an incubator, really have some specific goals that you want to accomplish it's not just about getting you know the 25 or 50 grand in the office space you, you know what can they provide what value who's behind the incubator yeah. you know and evaluating it but i think it's a it's a great option definitely something to consider especially if you're very new into the entrepreneurial space and even as an option if you're a medical student or a resident you know getting hooked into an incubator and seeing how you can provide some advisory roles or, you know, looking at some of the other digital health companies yeah, that's might be a, a good way idea. to get yourself yeah, involved. Yeah, that's a great way of, sort of testing the water, so. actually, because it, they'd be looking for medical students to test their product and give them a bit of input. They're always looking for med students and residents. I, right? I, yeah, because, you, you know, people will be surprised that, you know, there's still a lot of companies that don't have sort of medical personnel on board that are, are trying to do this sort of thing. And, yeah, your insights as a medical student or as a doctor, knowing how things actually happen in the field can be invaluable. Couldn't agree more. So going to our clinic of greatness this week, something that I really uh, aspire to and, you know, something that adds a lot of value in my own life, you know, just getting out there. So something that I try and do is, you know, have coffee, have drinks, have dinner with two or, you know, four successful people per month. I've got kind of a list of people that I want. I'm currently in Boston, but just connecting, I, I think it gives you a really great opportunity to sit down really have that one-to-one you know, relationship. It adds a lot of value. And I think it's a great way to learn about different things going on in the healthcare space or just in life as you grow as an entrepreneur, somebody that's looking to, to really make an impact. Is this something you kind of do as well, James? You know, grab coffee or drinks with, uh, with other interesting people that you know, really can add. Uh, you know, I do insight. actually, but uh, but I do, what you said just sort of um, made me think. You know, I, I should do that more. Uh, I do it in the sense of um, I get people people ask me for sort of to meet up for a coffee and advice and stuff. I don't. I've not for the last few months sort of really put myself out there in terms of asking other people sort of you know, initiating that process. Yeah, it's something that I should do more because every time I do meet with someone, more often than not an interesting lead comes out of that conversation, either relevant to the business or just a new thing that you want to get involved with. And even further down the line, you it's a small world at the end of the day. And the more people you know, the more sort of opportunities that are going to come your way. So yeah, yeah, great one. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way over. And, and it's kind of a something that you do over time, you know, to, to really build, you know, build a network, you know, build some, some kind of contacts for the future. And, and I think people tend to be generous on both ends. Um, of the spectrum, both trying to give back what you're saying as well in terms of trying to mentor 
but also on the other side, I think growing circle yourself around some really incredibly smart people, you know, helps you both to grow as a human as well Yeah, as an entrepreneur. no, definitely. People, I think we've said this before, actually, in that people are more, 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 more often not really willing to um, help people who are maybe a few months or a few years behind their journey because they know they've had that help from people themselves. It, it's it's a really nice community, like whatever industry you're in, startups. So if you're, if you're thinking of being generous, share this podcast with Nice. your best friend, with anybody you know. <laughs> you know, that's our goal is to... Uh, To really share some wisdom with people that are interested in, in, in healthcare entrepreneurship. Yeah. So exciting, man. Episode five. It's uh, it's going to be great to get some feedback. And we hope everybody goes out and raises some some money and buys Yeah, us dinner, or just right? give us a bit of equity, but um, either way. Exactly. Right. You're asking for a little bit more, right? I'm I'm, I'm more generous. You know, just di dinner will, will uh, work out for me. But James Does wants that mean equity. If someone, so if someone offers if us you equity, listen then and you, you raise don't want money. yours. Yeah, the, no, no. I, I guess I'll take equity dinner and a free trip to London for uh, your upcoming Yes, event, yes, right? thanks for reminding me. Yeah, we've not really done this before, but um, for Doctorpreneurs, we partner with various events, organizations that we can really get behind. And we're incredibly proud to be partnering with the Wired Health Conference. So that's uh, Wired Magazine, who a lot of you will have heard of. They have a health tech conference taking place on April the 29th in London. just looked at their website, amazing range of speakers and opportunities from startups. They're focusing on various aspects of medical technology from wearable devices to molecular medicine and big data. Um, if you're interested in a ticket, just to learn a little bit more, Google Wired Health 2016 and click on the first link that comes up. That sounds incredibly exciting. I hope you, everybody's wired up and pumped up for the, you know, the event in April. It That looks sounds really awesome. cool. Um, yeah, um, myself and other guys from the, the team will be down there as well. So if any of you wanted to grab a coffee and, and chat about things, then that would be great. Really interesting chatting to you as always, Greg. I hope you guys listening have found it interesting as well. New podcast on iTunes. Again, we're very proud to have made the new and featured with our first few launches. We want to keep that momentum going. So uh, please subscribe to the podcast if you want to keep up to date. If you could leave a review on iTunes, it really does make a big difference. So that would be really great. And of course, tell your friends about it. Thanks so much, James. Hashtag at Twitter, Ask Doctorpreneur. We look forward to your questions. And to episode number six next week. Thank you very much for listening. From Greg and James, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, remember to subscribe to the show and check out www.drpreneurs.com for more.